Hello. Hey, John. How you doing? Oh, hello, Dan. How's the weather up there? It's freezing. It's freezing down here almost. Almost freezing. I like that you've started to start our shows. Well, it's you've a started report, to start you know? our shows. It's a report. With a little bit of a weather report. I do like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I uh, bought my house, my house is long. It's, um, it's not in the style of Pacific Northwest longhouse. It's in the style of a uh, mid-century rambler. Mm-hmm. But at some point, uh, the family got a little bigger, and they built <clears throat> they they built a a little an, an addition, a couple of rooms for their expanding family. And rather than put an L into the house or build the rooms, they just you know ra- rather than build an addition that went a different direction, let's mm-hmm. say they just extended the house along a a single axis. So they built the addition down at the end, and then they did a nice job. It's it's seamlessly integrated, so that the house kind of looks like a train station. You know, it's just long. It's just long. It's not wide. Uh, if it were if it were four feet wider across the beam, mm-hmm. it'd be um, it'd be um, well, there'd be room for a couch in the basement. But as it is, it's long, and on one side of it, the 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 uh, the ravine side there's a gutter that runs along the roof that's a, just a very long gutter hmm. it goes from one end to the other a long straight gutter and it only has two downspouts at either corner and uh, when i moved into the house it looked to me as a, as an investigative reporter <laughs> that someone along the line had wanted to get up on the roof from the lower side. Now the upper side of the house, it's easy to get onto the roof. You could just throw a step ladder up, and because it's a it's a mid century rambler, it's low. Right. But the back side of the house is two stories. It's one of the. It's very common in the Northwest where we have hills that that the front door is at the is at the ground level, and then in the back the hill tumbles down, and you've got a two story house in the back. Someone, rather than get on the roof from the front, got on the roof from the back, and they leaned a long, tall ladder against the long gutter, and they bent it. Hmm. They bent the gutter right at the point where it, where it crests. And, you know, to put a gutter on a house is, I don't know if you know this, but it's a, uh, this is skilled work. Um, because in, in this case, this very long... Uh, uh, travel here that the gutter has to do. You know, it has to peak in the middle so that the water runs down to both sides. But it can't look like it's bent. You know, it's got a... I mean, it's not skilled. Don't they have like a machine that does that, though? Like when I had them put on in my house years ago, they they had like a machine. A machine? And it it would put... Yeah, and it it, like the, the gutters themselves were sort of unfolded like sheet aluminum. And mm-hmm. then they, I guess they would go and measure and they'd say, okay, we need, you know, 20 feet for this side. And then it's got to bend and go for 15 feet this other way. And they would just put, put it in there and it would, it would create a, a seam when it mm-hmm. would need to join the different pieces of aluminum, but it, they were like flat aluminum that it would shape into the gutter on the fly, curling mm-hmm. down the little edges and seaming them to get, and it was magic. It was like really cool to watch this. But, but, but. The machine wouldn't be able to. You'd need put an in operator this. for the machine. Well, no, but it wouldn't be able to put in this sort of declination that would ha- happen across the length of the house. I don't house. think it It'd did that. Just, no, I don't think it, it could do that. No, it would be too big. Yeah. So I mean, it's you know, it's not like surgery, but um, but it but it was it was impressive to watch when yeah. I called when I finally called the guys and said, "Look, I need this to be. I need a new one of these because you know it's not." It's not uh, repairable when your aluminum thing is is um, is bent like that. So some guys came out, you know, home handyman type guys. Two two guys. They didn't have a giant machine. They just had a truck. And uh, but I think the truck had some capacity to do this bending that you're talking about. Yeah, this all happened inside the truck. Whatever yeah. was going on, the truck had the machine in it. Yeah, it's like very a, mysterious. 
It's like the machine that makes a star-bellied sneech into a regular sneech. <laughs> yeah, you put the sneech in one side, you get the star-bellied one on the other side. Yeah, or alternately, the machine will take a star off of a. Uh, oh, it can do that. Sneech. I didn't know it could go in that direction too. Yeah, well, okay. a later iteration of the machine. <laughs> in case, uh, because then star-bellied sneeches, you know, it becomes unfashionable. Yes. Yeah. Um, but in uh, so I I had a gutter put on earlier this year. Because the old gutter, when it would rain hard, the the water would spill over the gutter right in the center of the space. Oh yeah, and it was digging a hole in the ground. It was, it was it was a big mess. Well, now so I've got a brand new gutter, and now it started to rain heavily again. We're in the heavy rain season, and the pine needles, you know, the pine needles, Dan, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. out here, <laughs> the two things, spiders and pine needles. Ugh. Are are why I would recommend that no one move to the northwest because the you know the spiders for obvious reasons, but the pine needles when the pines decide to drop their needles, the conifers, they all decide at the same time like you know they're evergreen trees, but they they do have to get rid of some needles. They drop them all at once, and they're just they're a carpet. It's a beautiful carpet, but. It really interferes with the way windshield wipers on your car oh, work. Oh, sure, sure. And it, they fill up the gutters. It's really not that big of a deal. It's actually quite beautiful, and it's just it, it's just that I track them in the house. It's a small thing, it, hardly a thing to complain about. Pine needles. What kind of a nut is going to say pine needles are, are a reason not to move to the Northwest? It's insane. But in this case, they've clogged up my brand-new gutter, and the water is just pouring off the side of the gutter down into the yard, digging digging another hole basically. And uh, and it's and and now I have the the experience to know don't lean a ladder up against it. Oh, what happened? Well, right? Wait, so, what happened there? Well, if you lean a ladder up against it, it's going to bend. bend that, it. As as I have deduced from the ladder shaped bend that used to be in the gutter. <laughs> right. So. You know, but well, what if you got to get up a past the gutter and you've only got one of those like long extension ladders? You can't put it below the eave of the roof because you're not going to get up where you want to go. It's got to go up against it. It has to. That's the problem. You have to have one of those ladders that has an extension that allows it to touch the either the roof or the side of the wall without leaning against the the eave. And oh, I realized like a, like a thing, like a almost like a right angle thing or something. Yeah, pra- it's got like a little U, like a like some legs, a ladder yeah. with legs. Yeah, or arms? No, not legs. A ladder is legs. Right, it would have it's to got, have an arm pressing against the side of the thing. Yeah, it's got arms. I've or you need to devices. get one of those. Really, I've never really seen one that because when you once you're getting up over, would you say what eleven, twelve feet? No, you're getting taller. into extension yeah. ladder territory then. Well, and the and what I realize now, from having to face this this problem, is that I could get up on the roof quite easily from the other side of the house, but as you as you go over the crest of the roof and come down on the side with the offending gutter, you're thirty feet above the ground and on a weird slopey uh, rancher roof, which doesn't. I mean, even a steeper roof. I was up on the roof of my mom's house, mm-hmm. which was 40 feet above the ground and steeper. And, I, and in a way, I felt more secure because the angle felt, I don't know, regular. It felt like like a like a, you, you knew you were on a steep roof and you knew you couldn't monkey around. Whereas this roof is shallow and it feels like you could just sort of waltz over there and then... I don't know. That's vertigo inducing. I don't want to be up on the roof. I don't want to look over the side. I don't want to clean out a gutter. I, you know, I would have to get down on my belly. And so now I've got a problem. I've got a gutter that's full of pine needles. I've, I don't want to be on the roof and there's no way to put a ladder up there. And I don't know what I'm going to have to get a drone, Dan. I'm going to have to get a, well, a, what, a I mean, gut, tell me gutter in, cleaning drone. What is it that you're going to do besides clean the gutters up there? Because the, there might be a way to do that from the ground with like some kind of hose attachment or something like hose that. Hose attachment. 
a hose attachment. You know, they have these things. Like I've seen them. Like, don't they have these infomercials about this? Like, never use a ladder to clean your gutters again. And they've got a thing that, like, go. You know, that t- handles it for you. Oh, it, oh don't they have well, that? Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I don't know. Um, it seems like they should have a small little like. You remember in that episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation when they had these like drone things that they weren't flying drones, but they, they were designed to go inside these tubes and they would go through these tubes. And I, I guess where they clear a star Trek next year. And they would no, not the tube of, no, not those tubes, tubes in some kind of power station. I think it was, I don't know, uh, but the, they would go through They call them, didn't they call them pigs or something like that? I got to Google this. Hold on. And they became like artificially intelligent. Um, Boy. Hold on. You know, I I was talking to a friend this morning, Dan, about how uh, uh, among my friends, um, you know, I I know a lot of people with with exceptional minds, you know, people that have that have talent that kind of that that supersedes talent in a way, You, you know, like. A lot, a lot of smart people standing in a room, right? Everybody's there. They're all just chatting. It's like, wow, okay, here we all. It's all everybody's, everybody's real clever here. But then, then uh, each person kind of has a has a place where they are, where they're just gifted. You know, Hodgman would stand in a room full of very, very funny people, and we're all being funny, and everybody in there is funny, and some of the people in the room are professionally funny. But there would be a, a, a place anecdotally, and by that I mean in the in the re- relating of anecdotes, where Hajman would just become someone where the his his access to just the humor of the gods, like and he was very casual, yeah. but he would just be sometimes the funniest person you'd ever seen. And he's a funny man and traveling around and being together. Like he's funny all the time. I'm funny. We're funny. We're being funny together. He's being funny with other people. But there were other times when he could just, he would just go into the funniest person. And I, I was saying to this friend via this email I was writing that, you know, that, that Ken Jennings does this thing where uh, he's a very smart guy and he, he introduces smart um, things and he has a lot of information, but he's a regular person. And then he goes on uh, the goat uh, show on Jeopardy, and he just ex- he just accelerates to light speed in a way where you're like, how do you how how are you uh, able to be this otherworldly? And um, in this case, in the case of this conversation, Dan, you are accessing levels of Star Trek Next Generation. <laughs> that I just don't have, I have no access to. I cannot scan to find the one where the the pigs. The go Enterprise in the arrives tubes. at at, at Trias Seven A to oversee a fledgling mining technology, a particle fountain engineered by Doctor Farallon. While on the planet, the crew observe the use of small machines called exocomps that Doctor Farallon claims can analyze a problem, replicate the correct tool to repair it, and learn this for future situations. During a test, one exocomp refuses to enter a tunnel. Moments later, a confined explosion occurs within the tunnel. Dr. Farallon, Lieutenant Commander Data, and Lieutenant LaForge investigate the exocomp, finding several more new electronic pathways in its circuits than they expected. Dr. Farallon, having encountered this before, would normally erase the unit's memory, but Data suggests that the unit may have exhibited self-preservation behavior and wishes to examine it further. Data asserts that if this is true, the exocomp should no longer be used on the particle fountain, but Dr. Farallon dismisses his claims. And says hmm. that any delay will ruin the years of work she has put into the project already. But the exocomp has has is evolving right in front of our eyes. The exocomp is yes, it has it's uh, become it's a life form and it is alive. So, so in this sense, the that particular exocomp is is exhibiting what I was just describing an exceptional uh, ability to sense whether or not there's about to be an explosion in a tube. Well, can I he, can I give a spoiler of how it ends? I think so. The thing is that what's crazy to me is that there were people listening to the show as you were as you were searching for it who were going Exocomp, Exocomp, Dan, come on, yeah. it's Exocomp. Is it com or comp? It is spelled E X O C O M P. 
exocomp. Yeah. And what so happens... An external computer? Is that what I, it is? I don't know. All right. Um, so what happens? I, spoiler alerts. If you don't want to know what happens, tune, tune out. Well, it, yeah. Yes. Spoiler alert. Well, so what happens is there's a malfunction and it's, it's going to irradiate the whole place. It's going to kill everybody. The exocomp? And no. The, there's an explode. There's something happens in where they're mining. The exocomps are fine. And what they can do is I think um, so Picard is down there and, and uh, they're, they're going to get beamed out of there. Right. But like there's a, some other problem and the exocomps are like, we're going to sacrifice ourselves. Like we're going to try and fix this, you know, oh. but we're going to, we're going to save this place. We're going to take a chance. We're going to risk ourselves. They make this decision. Oh, it's a submarine movie. And the last one does sacrifice itself. And it locks itself in and, and closes the hatch. Something like that. Yeah. And so um they're t- you know, Data and Picard are chilling at the end. And Data's like saying to Picard, like, you remember when you stood up for me when my own sentience as a life form was questioned? That's a famous episode. They had like a cold courtroom thing where Riker had to play um the uh, opposing counsel prosecution sure. and Picard was trying to show that data was alive and data's like, I had to do the same thing for these guys, you know? And, and Picard's like, dude, like this is the most human thing that you've ever done. You're like, this is showing your humanity right there. Wow. But he's also, episode. he's also siding with robot kind. Yeah. But if you're, if you've been watching um the, Picard TV show, uh, that would make sense. I won't spoil that for anyone. Now, listen, I I searched, I went to Google and I typed in gutter cleaner, two words. Okay. And I have dozens of results. I hit the image search because that's that's the way you do it in 2021. Mm -hmm. And there are tons and tons of these things that are, some of them look like they're hoses. Some of them look like they have brushes, spinning brushes. 25 feet tall. Oh yeah, they are. There's yeah they are. There's one dude here. He looks like he's got a fifty footer up there. Whoa, a fifty footer. Yeah, seriously. Look, oh. I'm gonna send you pictures. This could be you. Hold on, I'm gonna send That's you this. slamming. <laughs> I think this is our cover art. Has All to be right. our cover art. But look at this. Well, you know, look that at this picture. Young. All right. <laughs> it's just one picture. There's dozens like this. It's just one of them. And, and um, this could be you, wow, John. That is a tall. <laughs> That's a tall gutter cleaner. Could I don't think you. it's 50 feet, but I bet you that would work. I bet that would get me up there. Yeah, that's right, what I'm well, saying. Don't, don't, just, uh, don't just send me the picture. Send me the, send me the link to the <laughs> thing. I'll buy it immediately. Yeah, I'll, 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 <laughs> there's, well, just, I, I mean, just search gutter cleaner. They've got them at Walmart even. They've got it. There's, oh, this one has little, like it has little tongs on the end of it. And the little tongs can grab the leaves out of it. That's I think, what I and, need. I need tongs. You know, they've got tongs. You got a, one has a spinning brush. I want tongs, but I want a sprayer too. Because, you know, you want to flush. You want to flush. This one has an attachment that cleans the outside of the gutter too. I don't care about that. I don't think you want to get up on this roof because that's where accidents happen. The worst thing that could happen yeah. if you use one of these, I think, is your arm gets a little sore. They've even well, got a picture of some elderly person using it here. I'm gonna I say. bet. Oh, that's then. Let me get that one because ease of use is one of the things I, I'm looking for. I uh, I don't want goopy leaves and pine needles to drop on my head too. So th- so there's going to be. I'm going to have to be careful about operator error. Yeah. But you know, like having a having a home is a there's a lot to it in the Northwest. Yeah, and you got to winterize. Don't you have to winterize and everything like. Oh, uh, the uh, <clears throat> the outdoor faucets you do have to winterize, but that's all. Yeah, okay. There's no, there's nothing else that needs winterizing. And you know the uh, the the windows in this house, some of them are single pane windows. Right. And I don't know if I've talked to you about this before, but I feel like that single pane double pane thing is a little bit of a racket. You and, did uh, say that, but I I notice a difference with the sound through the double panes than the single panes. Oh yeah, that's probably true. I mean, there's obviously a difference. It's 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 not nothing. Yeah. But it's not a thing that's worth taking all the windows out of your house and putting in new windows. It's a thing where if you want double pane windows that are insulated and 
and quiet, then you should buy a newer home. You should buy a you should buy a different home that came with those and not take the beautiful old windows out of your old house if you live in an older house. What if they're just ugly? Then then you're okay with it. If the windows the are thing, ugly. Well, oh yeah, if the windows are ugly. But yeah. the thing is most of the people who are taking windows out and replacing them with other with with who are being convinced by the uh by the weird double paned window crowd. <clears throat> it's not even weird. They're just they're just salespeople. They're just sale you sometimes you go down a block, you go down a street and every single house on the street has asbestos tile or uh, you oh. know or aluminum siding. Sure. And you realize, "Oh wow, there was a really good salesperson that came through here and put, you know, and sold to everybody on this block." Like I was at the cemetery. Well, you know that the Rod- the Rodericks just got their siding installed um your house doesn't quite look as nice as the Roderick's house That's right now. Right. That's right. Don't you want some uh, brand like new aluminum siding? You're going to have an old house compared to the, the other ones on this street. We're we're going to be in, in, installing the mm-hmm. the man's next uh, next week. <laughs> I was at the cemetery a couple of days ago because it was my dad's 100th birthday. Oh wow! And um and so we went to the cemetery and we're there. And normally my mom doesn't go because the cemetery is where my father's family is buried and you know the the earliest stone in there is from 1885 mm. which is in seattle terms pretty old yeah seattle only really having been settled at in the very earliest uh european times in 1860 you know mm-hmm. 57 was the first arrival so um so it's my dad's place. My dad's family used to live kind of just a block from the cemetery. So they went all the time. It's where great, great, so forth and so on. So my mom doesn't usually go because she's not somebody that's like, let me go stand at your father's grave. But we were headed down there. It was it was his 100th birthday. We were going to do our little ceremony on his birthday where we eat bananas and chocolate. And... um why, I, I would like to know the meaning of the bananas and chocolate. Well, my dad always, my dad loved chocolate mm-hmm. uh, to the point that it was a little bit pathological. <laughs> and he also, I think I've described before, this was not something that I, I particularly noticed in in the time, in its time, but my sister uh my sister said at one point, did you ever notice, or do you ever notice, because he was still alive at the time, do you ever notice that dad thinks that a banana is a perfect food? And I said, I don't think I had noticed that. And she said, well, dad wants you to have a banana. If you are leaving the house, dad says, take a banana. If you, When you wake up in the morning, you come downstairs, dad says, want a banana? His a banana is the solution to a lot of problems, I not see. any problems, but a lot of problems. My, the first thought my dad would have is, well, maybe you should have a banana. And that had never occurred to me, but you know, my sister has, has very different perception. She has special perception about certain things. And she noticed this. And then once she called it out, I was like, wait a minute, dad does apply a banana to almost any, that's it. That's like the the first thing he goes to. And it's not like, it's not like he carried a bunch of bananas hanging from his rear view mirror in his car or something. There were just, it's just a regular house with regular, a regular number of bananas. He just, uh, I guess every time he went to the store, he bought a bunch of bananas and I've, I've adapted that or adopted that and adapted to it. I have always bananas, mm-hmm. a little bunch of bananas. When I go to the store, it's a thing. I get some bananas, put them and then you have a banana. And so then, then have a banana became a code between Susan and me where we were, we're definitely like doing a head check to dad. Oh, how, why don't you have a banana? Yeah, like that. If you're having such a if you're having such a bad day or whatever, right. have a banana. Sure. So then Susan started to. <clears throat> after Dad died, we would go to the cemetery, and Susan would bring bananas. As a, she's now referencing our reference as much as she's referencing him, 
Because if he were there, if he were there in the cemetery sitting on a chair and Susan showed up with a banana with bananas, I mean he'd be he'd be thrilled because yes. you know, bananas. But also he would I think he would scowl at the idea that it had become any kind of meme associated with it. Yeah. Whereas the chocolate, he would be like, yeah, you know, chocolate. But if we were like, and also bananas, he'd be like, I don't know what that's about. But so now it's a thing, you know, Susan's turned it into a ritual. And now I'm sure my daughter thinks that her grandfather was some crazy, he was just some crazy person about bananas. But who doesn't like, I mean, I was about to say who doesn't like a banana, but I actually know people that don't like bananas. They just don't like them. They're chalky or they're, there's, there's a lot of reasons, I guess, to not like a banana when you really think about it. They're stringy. They're, they're, they're too green right up until the point where they're, then then they're suddenly too brown. You know, there's the perfect six hours where a banana is just perfect. Yes. But, but there are this many people that like them green and there are this many people that like them brown. So, you know, there's always a, for every banana, there's a person. So we're there at the cemetery, <laughs> got the bananas, and my mom decides to come. You know, she's she's like, well, it's your father's 100th birthday, and I had promised everyone that we were going to go out to Mexican food afterwards. We we always went to this restaurant on Capitol Hill called El Farol, and El Farol had been there a long time, and before it was El Farol, I used to go to the to the Mexican restaurant that was there before, but we've been, but it's been there for decades. And it was one of those restaurants where we went as a family. <clears throat> it's a humble Mexican food place. It's not any kind of, it's not like luxurious. It's just a, just a regular workman's Mexican food place in the middle of Capitol Hill. Mm -hmm. And the food is not exceptional, Dan. I'm going to come right out and okay. say that the, that the food at El Farol is also very workmanlike. Mm -hmm. But we grew to love the 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 proprietors. the The wait staff had a lot of the the wait staff were all uh, were all men, and they were all funny, and in a way, you know, mm -hmm. charming. Local 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 friends. So we hadn't been there in a long time because we've all moved south now. So I said, we're going to go to El Farol. And she was like, all right, I'll come to the cemetery. And we get there. And I don't know if I've told you this story, but when, when dad died, you know, they put a, a little, what they called a temporary stone, which was just, it's a stone, not a, it's not like a, like a piece of plastic or something. It's a stone that had his name and the date of his death carved into it, hmm. but it was temporary. It wasn't a headstone. Oh, sure, okay. <clears throat> and the way the, the the cemetery director explained it to me, when you put a headstone in, part of the cost of the headstone is um, is an endowment to the cemetery that pays for the groundskeeping and the upkeep and the you know, the, the, the stone is registered then within the cemetery to, and then it becomes part of their operation. Mm -hmm. It's a very, this cemetery is a very large cemetery. It's the cemetery where Bruce Lee and Brandon Lee are buried. Oh, no kidding. But also all of the, the, the Seattle founders are buried there. You know, all the names of the, the the main downtown streets, Bell, Denny, Mercer, Renton, all those original characters are all buried in this one particular cemetery, and they all have, you know, obelisks and whatnot, because it's, this is the founding cemetery. Right, okay. And so the people that, it's called Lakeview Cemetery, the people that run it are managing this, you know, this property that's, in, in 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 many ways a tourist destination you know the people come to to stand at bruce lee's grave there's a cemetery down in renton where Jimi hendrix is buried and for 
for years, he just had like a flat stone on the ground like everyone else there. That's crazy. And it was, you know, it became over time a pilgrimage, pilgrimage spot. But it's way out in – it's not even in regular Renton. It's like in some weird South Renton that um, it's not near anything. So you would have to get there. You would have to know about it. This is back in the 80s where there weren't – where there wasn't an internet. So you would even have to know – you would have to conceive that Jimi Hendrix was even buried in the region. He's not – there was nothing about Renton – that meant anything to him. It was just his father found a graveyard. Weird. It's weird where he's buried. But it was just a flat stone on the ground. So then you had to walk around this enormous cemetery in Renton, kind of wondering where Jimi Hendrix might be. <laughs> and eventually, you know, I went there once, and we didn't find it. We all went home empty-handed because we walked around. You know, there were six of us walking around. We couldn't find it. But eventually, I think in the in the 90s, the sort of legend of Jimmy became a big thing to Generation X. And pretty soon you could find Jimi Hendrix's grave because the grass was worn down all around it. Oh. Um, and then eventually they built a, some kind of larger thing. They recognized that they needed to have a place for people to go, kind of like Jim Morrison in Perilous Chase. Yeah. So they've done that with, with Bruce and Brandon here. There's like a fence. You can go stand and get a – it's like a selfie spot now. But mm. it, it's always been a place for people to go. So we're there. We're there at the cemetery, and my mom is looking down. And what we've got is we've got the Knutsons are there, and that's my dad's sister and her husband, Cal. Mm -hmm. um, and then the Rochesters, who were my dad's mother's family. And they're the Seattleites. They're the ones that have been here for a long time. They lived across the street. They're the they're the the founding family here. The Roderick name came from my grandfather, who was this Welsh, you know, second generation Welshman from Ohio, who just came out here to he 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 didn't come out to Seattle. He met my grandmother in in France in World War One. And they married, and then all of a sudden he's in Seattle. He's got no relationship to the place. So the Roderick name does not um, have any history here. My dad was the first Roderick that made any impact in Washington. And then, of course, there's me. Right. Who has made Roderick a household name in Washington. Yeah. Just really, you know, rings all the, the church bells peal <laughs> when they say it now. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But it used to be it used to be that it was the Rochester family, and so there's all these Rochesters there. And my mom's relationship to the Rochesters was not uh, particularly chummy, mm. although she and my grandmother were very good friends. And she was telling this story that that she used to take me and leave me as a as a toddler with my grandmother and then she could, my mom could go shopping or whatnot. And one time she came back, I was about two and she came back from a shopping trip and she said, you know, where's John? And my grandmother said, Oh, some little girls came by and took him. <laughs> my mom said, my mom said, who, who? And, uh, she said, Oh, some neighborhood girls. And so, you know, my mom went up and went out and went up and down the alleys there, sure. you know, 15th Avenue and eventually found me two years old, you know, in the company of this little gaggle of, of six year old girls and they were feeding me peanuts and, <laughs> you know, had me dressed up as a whatever had had dressed me in a bonnet. Oh, and, uh, and my mom was like, well, I can't leave you alone with with the with with uh, Nana anymore, sure. But they were close, right? So here we are. We're standing in the graveyard. We have a banana. We, you know, we're we're uh, we're all a little awkward. My sister is the ceremonial one, but the, you know, the rest of us. It's not like we're going to stand there and and speak aloud to 
the ground. Right. Dad, here it is upon your hundredth birthday. You know, it's very hard for us to do that. Yeah. Um, we started saying grace earlier this year. Like at, dad, been, at the dinner table. At the dinner table. Sure. Maybe it's been a couple of years. We went to, we went to Ken Jennings's house for dinner and you know, they're, uh, observant, religious. And so they said grace. And it was my daughter's real first experience with saying grace. And she liked it. Mm-hmm. You know, it felt like, I think my daughter, like my sister, my, she will grow, she's ceremonial. She wants things to have, uh, she believes things have import and she wants, she wants things marked in time. Yeah. And so we start, we were like, well, we should have a grace. Because she was, she was remarking on it. And I said, well, uh, okay, well, let's have a grace. And so, so my daughter came up with one. Thank you for this food and drink and this, and um, everything placed before us. And then at the time we were watching the Mandalorian. And so my daughter concludes our grace by saying, this is the way. And then everyone at the table echoes, this is the way. And now this is the way has, has, you know, has, and I think this is probably true uh, for a lot of people. This is the way has, has definitely like left the Mandalorian behind and has Mm. become a a general uh, phrase of grace in our home. This is the way. So we're at the, we're at the cemetery. We don't know where. We're not exactly sure what to say, so we just kind of stand there and kick the kick the dirt around. But the problem is, my dad's stone is gone because I never, after he died in two thousand seven, I always meant to go through what seemed to me to be a kind of torturous process of picking the right stone, picking the right inscription, and then kind of going around to the relatives and saying, who wants to chip in on this? You know, you don't have to, but I figure if any, if anybody wants to throw in a couple hundred bucks on this, um, and that whole thing just seemed really fraught for me at yeah. the time. Yeah. And the gravestones in my family are kind of ridiculous. Like, you know, there's more than one stone that says, that that says something, you know, like my great grand uncle, his stone says something like his worlds east and west of rock on tour statesman man of the century. You know, it has this whole like paragraph mm-hmm. written on it, all balderdash, you know, he was not a bon vivant. Or or his world's east and west. I mean, what that meant was he went back east and he married the woman who was the heiress to the Buster Brown shoe fortune, and he spent the rest of his life managing her money. Right. And everybody everybody agreed that he was a, that he was a flaming asshole. <laughs> I only met him one time. He was like ninety five years old. He was this tiny little shrunken little man in a hospital bed, and they took me in to meet him. And I was eight years old or something, and it he was terrifying. You know, it was mm. just like, who is this? how how can a person get this old? Bon vivant. Anyway, so I'm thinking. So it, my dad's stone. Am I going to put a sentence on there? Is that the family tradition? I feel like I need to stop that. I need, if that is the family tradition, I need to I need to cut it off. Yes, statesman, his worlds, <laughs> east and west. But Connecticut and Seattle, hardly east and west. You know, it implies that he that he spent a you know two decades in China, east and west. So so I never bought a stone, and for for it's been fifteen years since my dad died. Has it been fifteen years? Thirteen years, and. I've been you know kind of meaning to do it the whole time, talking to friends 
I'm talking to relatives, talking Mm -hmm. to my sister. Mm -hmm. We got to get this together. We got to get a stone for dad. Oh, yeah, we should do that. Oh, you know, and all the relatives have pledged. Oh, yeah, I'll totally throw 300 bucks in there. But it's me. It's my job. And at one point, I, I, I handed it off to my sister. You know, how about if this is your job? And she was like, totally, I'm on it. And then also made zero progress at it. And because we haven't bought a stone, we haven't paid for the endowment, they haven't mowed around his temporary stone. Oh. And they've mowed all everywhere else, and the grass all went on top of the stone, and it became dirt, and it grew over, and now it's gone. His stone is under there somewhere, but it's gone. Right. I mean, you can't, you couldn't see it. How do they know that it's, like, occupied? Like, how, I guess they have a chart. They have a chart. Yeah. And if you look at the map of the cemetery, you know, the the cemetery was platted in the, I don't know when, the 1870s, because some of those, you know, the, the some of the founders, including the people that got there in 1857, the ones that first washed up on the shore at Alki Beach, some of them are buried there. So this, this cemetery, and this cemetery was kind of out in the sticks at the time. Hmm. But they, they have this map, this this um, this beautiful map of the cemetery that has every plot in there. Yeah. And the, it shows that the original layout had these alleys, um, roads, you know, and 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 the cemetery itself has this beautiful network of roads. It looks like that one in Park Slope in Brooklyn. Where, you know, it's a place that you could just go for a lazy walk. It's big enough and the roads twist around and there's there's hills and dales. And, you know, it's a it's a, a, a big place and a, and a pleasant place to be. But at somewhere along the line, they decided that they were going to close some of these alleys. And sell that, sell that that land as new graves, uh-huh. like in Poltergeist. Yeah, right. They 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 were gonna they were gonna build a they were gonna build a swimming pool right in the middle. Right. No, they were gonna because it's a cemetery, right? It gets it it, it gets crowded, and in the early days, sure, you know. Uh, Mr. Mercer can build a mausoleum to himself, but later on, it's like, no, we got to get more people in here. Right. We got We have to change the rules a little bit because, I mean, right, these days it's kind of out of fat. Nobody buries a body or hardly ever. And so the new rules are, well, you can buy a you can buy a grave and you can fill it up with your with um little canisters, right? You can put six different people in a little plot. Uh, They haven't changed the rules so that you can put 60 people in a plot, even though, even though presumably they'd fit, but it's like a mass grave at that point. (laughs) Right. 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 And they have these, they have these mausoleums kind of like they have in Los Angeles where it's like a building and you can have a crypt and put your people, I guess, basically in a file cabinet drawer. But we have this. We well, have this. let pause for a second. What is yeah. what is your take on what what do you want to to happen to your body after you've died, and what do you think is like a general advice on that? Like, do you want to be embalmed? Do you want to be in a coffin? Do you want to cremated? Uh, do you want to be in a drawer? What do you want? Well, for years I thought that. What I was going to do is I was going to speed along Highway One outside of Big Sur, and at a certain point, fail to make a corner and like on go off the road. Or? Well, yeah, you know, at a, at an old age, you so go, like an, you get an Eskimo would sort of walk out into the snow, and you know, they'd never see them again, and they, they knew that it was just his time. He didn't want to be a burden on the family anymore. He was too old. He couldn't fish. And right. time to just he'd just go out into the wait for a big blizzard to come and that would sort of be his time to go. Right. Like that. 
Yes, like that. Okay. And I and, and I have I have to put an asterisk next to the word Eskimo, which apparently is a is no longer or not apparently it is no longer a a, a word that we use to refer to Alaska Native. We just say Eskimo. Alaska Native. I mean, you're the person that should educate me on this. So I yeah. so you can't say well, Eskimos anymore. No, there are a lot of different kinds of Alaska Natives, Inuits and. Uh, Aleuts and Athabascans, and they are all distinctive populations, and we we no longer use the the encompassing term Eskimo to refer to everybody. Was, is Eskimo one of those groups that you're mentioning, or is that just a completely wrong word that has no bearing on on any of them at all? Well, now you've just raised a very good question, um, and let's just see what the world says here. Okay. Um, I always think of it as a term that was used. Because like there are many, many different Native American uh, groups. There's the Navajo, Cherokee. I mean, that's just a few. Is, would this be like referring to all Native Americans as Cherokees by calling people native to Alaska Eskimos? Is it like that? Or is it just a, a word we don't say anymore because it's like I don't know any of this. Yeah, the the the, the problem is there there are Nupiates, there are Yupiks, mm-hmm. and there are Aleuts, and the three groups and the word Eskimo does not uh, really mean any of those. Mm. Um, it's um, it's like a what does it say here? It says it means netter of snowshoes. Okay. So it just means someone who makes snowshoes. Um but there are so there are like a lot of subdivisions of those three main Oh and and those are just the coastal people. The Athabascan who live in the interior of Alaska are not even related at all to the seafaring people, the Yupiks, Inupiates, and or Inupiate, Inuit. There, there are um, one of those is the encompassing word, and one of them is the specific word. I see. And then Yupik, and then Aleut. The Athabascans are related to the the. Native Americans that live in um, in Canada and and in in Central United States, so they're what what you would say were Indians, separate from what had formerly been what what were formerly called Indians were very separate from what were formerly called Eskimos. Okay, it's very Alaska is very complicated. It's a large, large area. Anyway. So my my plan was always to drive off the edge of the road sure. and fall into the ocean. But recently, there have been a few instances where someone has actually literally gone down there and driven off the road into the ocean, specifically those two women and their five adopted kids. And one of them went and suicided everybody, mm-hmm. murder, murder suicided everybody, that that has taken the, the bloom off the rose of that kind of Viking funeral. Sure. Right, where it's just like I'm headed into the ocean, ha ha ha. Or I just assumed that I would die in a in some kind of situation where, like the Joker, I was walking out of a hospital as it exploded, but I didn't <laughs> make it all the way out. Right. These days, where I'm a little bit older, and it's like, no, actually, I'd rather go. F- I'd rather go peacefully, but without a long illness. Inshallah. We are cream. We are cremation people. And my mom and dad in the 60s, when they were still married, joined a co-op, a funeral co-op, where it's like a – it was an attempt to get out of the funeral home racket. And and they said like, oh, funeral homes are exploitative and what what we are going to do instead is just have it be like a co-op. Like I was born in a co-op hospital – it's going to be a co-op funeral situation. They bought this stuff in like 1962. And when my dad died, 
it was all still there. The, 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 the co-op still exists in Seattle. And I was like, I found these papers and I walked in there and I was like, I think my dad bought something in the sixties. And they were like, welcome friend. <laughs> and they handled all of his stuff. And, you know, I went down t- to the, the funeral home yeah. where they were, you know, the crematorium. And sure. I was like, you know, I would like to be there in the room to, for the cremation. And they said, no, you wouldn't. And I was like, well, yeah, I think I would. You know, this is the ceremony. I want to be there when it happens. And they were like, you really don't want to be there. Why? And I, I, well, and I realized that the, that the actual, like, the process of taking a dead person and cremating them is one where you don't want to be there. I guess... I, you know, he's not in a coffin. It's not like, it's not like we bought him some, some coffin. And I don't think that they do it that way. I don't think that, you know, you see the ones where the the coffin goes in on a conveyor belt. I don't think they do that because when they hand you the ashes, it's not like a bunch of wood ash from the wood coffin that they burned. I think they put the body on a gurney and they why do they show it with the whole coffin going in? Is that just for the movies or? Yeah, I think yeah. it's just for the movies because you don't want to see the, you don't want to see the reality, which is that this person's been dead a few days and there's a funeral worker who is accustomed to dealing with people that have been dead a few days and it, the body goes into the, into the burner and then it burns. Right. And, and you as a lay person, particularly if you're dealing with somebody that you love, you don't want to watch it. And it was explained to me in very gentle terms to the, uh, oh, and then they said, and if you do want to be there, if after all of this, you still want to be there, we have to get a permit and it's going to cost you 500 extra dollars or something because we have to build a screen. You know, even if you wanted to be there, you couldn't be there for health reasons or something. You know, you have to be a licensed crematorist. So it's I a health, like, it's right. a health, uh, health inspection thing. It's a HIPAA, guess, HIPAA requirements. I guess I'm so. Sure. I had my, I had my, uh, my wisdom tooth pulled out at one point cause I had an, an abscess and this I was recently like, I, or a while no, ago? This, this is a decade ago. And okay. I was like, I'd like to keep that. That's very unusual. Right. And my dentist was like, well, it's actually a hazmat situation. And I was like, yeah, I know it was a tooth that was inside of me. Like, 10 minutes ago. I don't think it's not like I'm asking you to give me my liver. <laughs> and she was like, all right. And she put it in a little plastic bag and let me have it. But it, when but, I had my know, wisdom she, teeth out, I, I put them in, I soaked them in bleach mm-hmm. and they, they got all like everything cleaned off. And I used, I had them up until not that long ago. I tried at one point I tried to, I, I think I was inspired you know, to, to kind of be, make them into earrings. Yeah, well, I was thinking of a necklace, you know, <laughs> and I tried to drill through them, but they're surprisingly tough. Like a tooth is, is really tough. I didn't <laughs> have really a vice, you know, but if I had had a vice, I might've been able to, to do it. I think going around with a necklace of your own wisdom teeth around your neck. Mm, I, I think I it's mean, pretty you, badass, but you were already married. So maybe, you know, I was not, I was not to, married. I was, I was oh. 18, 19. 17? Oh. <clears throat> no, I was living... No, actually, this was high school, so it's probably 17 years old. Whoa. Who, who would call me now? It's I don't know, but I, I love that your ringtone is crickets. It's always been crickets, ever since my first... Um, they first I think it was in the first iPhone they had the crickets, yeah. That's pretty good, crickets. Well, so no, we're cremator people, and honestly... Uh, my great grandfather's ashes, although they have a stone for him in the in the um, sem- in, in this plot, it doesn't say bon vivant. Um, but according to my dad, they actually took his ashes and sprinkled them under the holly tree that was in the in Volunteer Park across the street from their house. Mm. Uh, and they lived on 15th Avenue and right across the street, there was a holly tree and that was, that became grandfather's holly tree. And although he had a stone in the neighboring cemetery, which at the volunteer park and the cemetery are right next to each other and they would go over there and I don't know what tip their hat, but really what they did was the holly tree was where 
grandfather was. And my dad said when they were little boys, they would go over there and stand at attention and salute. So my dad said, well, what I want is I want some of my ashes sprinkled in the middle of Lake Washington, some of my ashes sprinkled on the top of Mount Alieska in Alaska, Hmm. you know, and then he had all these other things. So I want some of my ashes on the top of Mount Susitna, all this stuff. And my sister at some point said, dad, do you really want your ashes on the top of Mount Susitna? You know, Mount Susitna is this mountain that you can see from across all throughout Anchorage. And my dad used to have an office where he looked out the window and there was Mount Sue. And he got this idea that he wanted his ashes up there. I think because his childhood friend, Brock Adams, when Brock's mother died, she wanted her ashes sprinkled on Mount Susitna. I have no idea why. Because they were Seattleites. Right. So Brock Adams' mother had her ashes delivered to my father. And my father, who's a small plane pilot, was supposed to get up in his airplane, fly over Mount Susitna, and sprinkle uh, Brock Adams' mother on the mountain. Well, for years, Brock Adams' mother sat in an urn in my father's office. She could see Mount Susitna out the window. And I used to say, Dad, this is something, you know, you have incurred this responsibility. Aren't we going to take Brock Adams' mother up and drop her on the mountains at some point? And Dad would say, oh, yeah, I'm going to, you know, got to get around to that. I don't, as far as I know, he did it at some point, but I, but he didn't invite me. And that seems weird to me because who else is going to do it? You know, he's flying the plane who went up with him to dump Brock Adams's mother out on Mount Susitna. I don't know. And knowing a little bit about ashes, you know, if you opened the door and opened the urn, I don't know what's to keep those ashes from just filling up the compartment of the airplane. It's not, it's not uncomplicated. So dad had all this, I want to be there. I want to be there. And so when I, when I was putting him in the cemetery, I actually opened the urn and I, and you know, sensitive to the idea that I was going to put him in Lake Washington and on the top of Mount Alieska. And he actually said, and some under the holly tree where granddad is buried. Well, for me, that's just like, well, first of all, it is 100% illegal to sprinkle your dad's ashes in volunteer park under the holly tree. That's not, nope, there's no permit they're going to grant you for that. So that would have to be a middle of the night mission. So I took a little urn, a smaller urn, and I put some of my dad's ashes in the smaller urn. And in the smaller urn, I think I put his pilot's license and a couple of pieces of chocolate, no banana. Then I sealed that urn, and that's what I put in the cemetery in in, uh, Lakeview Cemetery. Some portion of him, the rest of his ashes... I have to say, like Brock Adams' mother, I still have in an urn because I haven't gotten around to taking him up to Mount Alieska and out on Lake Washington. I mean, I should do these things, but in the meantime, I feel like he established a precedent with Brock Adams' mother that I should, you know, that it's not a bad thing to have him here. He, He was under my piano for many years. You know, he just kind of moves around. He's 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 in the space. He's looking out the window, and maybe Mount Susitna is a little bit further away. So this so the space in the cemetery where his stone wants to be is actually in what used to be an alley that they vacated and put in graves. Because the family plot, the Rochester plot, 
fell into the hands of my Uncle Junius, and although there are many, many, many spaces there left for family members, Uncle Junius, in managing the space, Junius is kind of a a problematic figure for me. Junius said, oh, there's not enough, you know, I need to save that space for my great-great-granduncle niece, my great-great-grandniece, a person who hasn't been born yet. You know, Junius is just weird. He's weirdly greedy or, or weirdly, what, what the hell is he talking about? You know, he's the younger, he's the younger, he's the, he is the son of the younger of the three siblings that, that had inherited this space. My father was the senior. He should have absolutely had control over this, but dad wasn't interested. Anyway, Junius made a fuss. And dad, rather than deal with Junius, bought his own plot in the alley. Wow. And the alley isn't an alley. There are stones there. And it's 10 feet from the rest of the family plot. 10 feet to the west and probably 10 feet to the south. So 20 feet, you know, or whatever. Somebody can do the math. Whatever the hypotenuse of that is. He's over there Mm -hmm. in the alley. And so we're standing there and my mom says, you know what? Why don't I buy the plots next to his? We'll buy a plot next to that and a plot next to that. And then we can put in a a thing, you know, like a like a bench or something that says Roderick. And then I can be buried here right. and you and Susan. And I was like, wait a minute, you're you who divorced my dad in 1972. Now all of a sudden you want to be buried next to him. And she's like, well, not next to him. He can be over here and we'll be over here. And all together it'll be, it'll, there'll be a bench kind of up and over back into the left. (laughs) And my daughter at that point looks at the, the alley and notices that every other stone in the alley, and the alley's long, right? So all the way, it starts all the way over there, and it goes all the way across the cemetery, all the way to over there. All the stones in the alley are Chinese. They're all in Chinese. And at the top, you know, they have the English translation, right? whatever, you know. Right. But the rest of the stones are in Chinese. And there are a lot of Chinese people buried in this Cemetery, because the Chinese were very early arrivals to Washington. They were a a very large community in Seattle. And so this cemetery is also a big Chinese cemetery. But the Chinese part of the cemetery, it's kind of disseminated widely. You know, it's not it's not like there's a corner of the cemetery that's Chinese. There are Chinese people all throughout the cemetery. Right. But they, you know, they tend to be kind of buried in family groups or, you know, that you'll walk along and there'll be a there'll you'll you'll suddenly be in a Chinese portion of the cemetery. But in this instance, it's just one long line of Chinese graves right in between, you know, right in the middle of an older part of the cemetery where there are no other Chinese graves. So they're not clustered. They're in a long straight line. And we realized when they vacated this alley and made it available for graves, some aluminum siding salesman went to the Chinese community and said, Hey, big opportunity here. And it's probably spent a, a couple of weeks in Chinatown and sold all of these graves, the grave sites, to Chinese families. Like, hey, the Rodericks are getting aluminum siding here. <laughs> do you do you want to not be in on this great opportunity to be buried in Lakeview Cemetery? And I think nothing pleased my dad more 
than that not only was he back into the left of the family, so he could see the family. They were his Mount Susitna. He was there. When you're standing at the Rochesters, you can look over and see where the Rodericks are, but they're not quite there. They're over here in the alley with all the Chinese. Thank you.